Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It doesn't take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Shani, we we have a somewhat exciting announcement. Mm-hmm. It's a while away, but we're doing some planning right now for a conference. We are. It's the Morningstar Individual Investor Conference for 2022. I mean, we've already had one in 2022, but it was supposed to be the 2021 conference, so... The actual this 2022. One we want people, yeah, this one, we want people there. Yes. So it's October 13th, and we have slipped a link in where you can sign up for the wait list. If you sign up for the wait list, you will get our best price tickets. So yeah, people should uh, put their name on the wait list, and we'll, uh, and we'll get out a couple announcements once we start getting some speakers and mm-hmm. once tickets are actually available. Yeah. And I mean, like no promises, but we've pitched to have a Warren... Buffett drinking game in real life. So <laughs> yes, we're going to do something. We're going to do something special for Investing Compass. And yeah. People that listen to Investing Compass at the end. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, the other exciting news, Shani, is, and I know you're very embarrassed by this because I was joking with you before we started this. Priscilla, your dog, mm. would you say really likes me? <laughs> yes, he really, really, really likes Mark. Um, he gets would very you, would excited. Would you like to talk about? Would you like to talk about how excited he gets when he sees me? Well, Mark came over yesterday. We were going for drinks last night, and um, Mark came over, and Priscilla peed all over your feet, your socks. So <laughs> yes, Priscilla's been doing this for a while. Last time I came over, he peed on the couch. Yeah, which is, this is very the first unpleasant time he for me. Peed on me because I'm the one that has yes. to clean this up. So I feel like I I'm volunteer just- to clean it up. I'm just going to stop inviting you over, Mark. So, <laughs> I, I know you're looking for that excuse anyway. All right. Do you, want to, uh, do you want to get into the episode? Let's do it. Okay. So we've done a couple of these before, but we're going to do an episode on lessons from great investors. And our first investor is Jim Rogers. Jim Rogers was a pretty famous investor who co-founded the Quantum Fund and Soros Fund Management with George Soros. He's now based in Singapore, but he spent the majority of his career in the U.S. as a successful investor and fund manager. And he was also famous for taking big trips around the world. So he wrote two books about these travels. So one of them is called Investment Biker. So, you know, big surprise, he rode his motorcycle around the world. And then he built a custom yellow Mercedes with his wife, and he drove that around the world as well. So... Neither of us have read the book, Shani, so we can't really say no. <laughs> much about it, but I know it seems interesting, no, but some, right? Something to put on your list. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So maybe we can give out a couple of copies of Investment Biker next time, Mark. So the first theme uh, with Jim is that the more certain something is, the less likely it is profitable. And Shani, we have a quote from Jim Rogers, and the quote is a little bit long, which is good because I'm reading it because I've been coughing the whole time. But Jim says, acknowledge the complexity of the world and resist the impression that you can easily understand it. People are too quick to accept conventional wisdom because it sounds basically true and it tends to be reinforced by both their peers and opinion leaders, many of whom have never looked at whether the facts support the received wisdom. It's a basic fact of life that many things everybody knows turns out to be wrong. 
The thought process behind this, and we've spoken a few times about this, is that first order thinking has become very common. And this has been based on the fact that except for a very short blips like March 2020, we've been in a very long-term bull run back to the GFC in all reality. And there has been a lot of short-term volatility, but it hasn't done much at the end of the day to dampen investors' appetites. And people have become comfortable with first-order thinking because in the recent past, it has worked. And that's not really saying much because you could have made an investment in just about anything and it would have worked. So we've talked about thematic ETFs quite a lot when we're speaking about first-order thinking, but it's a great example. So one example, of course, is climate change. I think the world is going to do something about climate change, and that's going to lead to more battery tech. And then you just buy batteries, an ETF that holds batteries, and apparently you'll make a bunch of money. And the notion that Jim talks about in this quote is just the fact that the consensus view is rarely profitable, especially over the long term. And that's because it's priced into the shares already. After all, it's a consensus for a reason. And a lot of people have lost sight of this. This very rosy scenario is priced into a lot of shares out there. And the only way that you're going to make outsized returns is if the outcomes exceed the consensus view. And there are a lot of areas like that now that are extremely popular with investors. A lot of themes where investors are bullish about the outcomes of these industries and companies. So it's good to take a step back and realize what's being priced into the market. And what that means. Anytime that we are buying into an investment, its future expectations are driving the price of the share, not what happened in the past. And you just need to be aware that those future expectations, what they are, and that they're already priced in. So this quote from Jim Rogers that we mentioned just sums this up quite well. And it's our first lesson of the podcast. And the good thing about consensus-driven investing is that there's a consensus. It wasn't just this quote from Jim wasn't just him talking about it. There are other famous investors who think exactly the same way. There's Buffett. He says, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And there's Keynes, who said, worldly wisdom teaches us that it's better for reputation to fail conventionally than to succeed unconventionally. There's Phil Fisher, who we did an episode on when we reviewed his book, Common Stocks, Uncommon Profits. He said that huge profits are frequently available to those who zig when most of the financial community is zagging, providing they have strong indications that they are right in their zigging. And there's plenty more, but it's safe to say that the secret to investing is not to follow the crowd but to anticipate where the crowd is going next. And if that sounds hard, it's because it is hard. And here's the amazing thing about investing. I literally listened to an investor tell me that active investing can't beat the market over the long term and the fees are too high. And then in the same breath, they tell me that they can beat the market by buying a thematic ETF. And this just doesn't make sense. A professional can't beat the market over the long term because they don't have this earth-shattering, market-beating insight that climate change is a thing. These are too high on active accounts, but you're invested in ACDC, for example, which charges 0.69% a year when you can buy the Vanguard Miski International ETF with VGS as a ticker symbol for 0.18% a year. So that's four times more that you're paying for ACDC. That was a really good rant, Mark. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is a it is a COVID fatigue influence <laughs> rant. I didn't have my normal juice. Yeah. Uh, so there's plenty more, but it's safe to say that going with the crowd means that you will get the same returns as a crowd. And Jim is in good company with all of these investors, and they're all saying that it's rare, rarely profitable to follow the crowds over the long term. And this is a really hard concept to grasp because this hasn't been the case over the short term. 
people have it ingrained into them that it is very profitable to follow the crowds and no one has a crystal ball, but we don't think that this will be the case over the long term. And the track record historically proves this. So we're going to do one more quote. We're doing lots of quotes, Sean. (laughs) And that's from Ray Dalio. So he started Bridgewater, which is one of the largest hedge funds in the world. And he said that you have to be an independent thinker because you can't make money agreeing with the consensus view, which is already embedded in the price. Yet whenever you're betting against consensus, there's a significant probability you're going to be wrong. So you also have to be humble. All right. So that's our first lesson from Jim Rogers, and we threw in a lot of supporting statements in there as well (laughs) from other investors, but still, Jim Rogers' lesson. (laughs) So let's move on to our next investor. Our next investor is Seth Klarman. Seth is an American billionaire. He's a hedge fund manager and an author, and he's also a big proponent of value investing. In 2008, he started a hedge fund, and he was managing $27 million. Since he started this hedge fund, he has gotten 20% returns, and he's up to $27 billion right now. And Seth's lesson is connected to edge, long-term edge. Long-term edge is another huge advantage that we have as individual investors over professional investors especially. Seth says, we think the biggest edge an investor can have and the biggest edge we have is a long-term orientation. It's easy for people to say that they do and it's harder to actually have it. It is really hard in a world where people are comparing results often. And every professional investor will tell you that they are a long-term investor because they basically have to say that. But a lot of them aren't. And this is for specific reasons that don't influence individual investors. And basically, all of them revolve around pressure. So pressure to keep up with their peers on a quarter-to-quarter basis and on a year-by-year basis. We just don't have that pressure as an individual investor. Any pressure that we put on ourselves to have a short-term mindset is just on us. So the reason that professional investors need to do this is largely because of bad habits that we have as investors. We chase performance, so professional money managers and portfolio managers, they know that if they continually underperform, all the money is going to go away. And if the money goes away, the firm makes less profit and it's career risk for them. And what they do, and this echoes what Jim Rogers said, is very closely mirror each other and the indices that they are following. It's that old adage, it's better to be wrong with everyone else than to go out on a limb. There's safety in crowds. And that's basically what they're doing. But as we said, going with the crowds is rarely profitable over the long term. Something that's important to keep in mind with Seth is to keep that long-term orientation. And as humans, we have this action bias. We always feel like we need to do something. If you listen to our behavioral investing episode, it's the analogy with the goalie in soccer. It feels stupid to just stand there and do nothing, so you do something. You pick a side to dive to to save the goal. And we feel this need with investing to respond to different events. And most of the time, the best thing is to do nothing as an investor. Do nothing, as in do not overtrade, do not spend too much time going and tinkering with your portfolio, and feeling like you need to respond to every new piece of data that comes out. And let's talk a little bit about compounding. We all know compounding is amazing and is one of the secrets to building wealth over the long term. If we think about compounding, there's two layers to it. There's layer one, and that's letting your investments compound, letting them earn returns on returns. And then there's the other layer, which is once you've found a great business and you're focusing on finding great businesses that have competitive advantages, you need to let those competitive advantages compound because they do not compound overnight. The way that a moat works and the way that a company with a competitive advantage works is that there are two ways that they will be successful for an investor. 
The first is that they're going to earn outsized returns on assets and new investments they make in the business. On those new investments in the business, they're going to earn a return that is above the cost of capital that they have. But that, of course, takes time. What that means is that I can go out there and borrow money for 10% and invest it for 20%. That's very powerful. And the case for many businesses is that they go out and borrow money for 10% and maybe get a 10% return or 11% return. And when you are a company with a competitive advantage, you're earning those outsized returns that over time will compound. So let the business do the work for you. That's another quote by Seth Klarman. So we all know this. We're told this not just in investing, but of course, other parts of our life as well, that we shouldn't compare results to others constantly. And that's really what we were talking about in that earlier quote. So you shouldn't compare your life to everyone else's all the time, because after all, the picture of their life is probably not accurate. It's the same thing with investing. Stop comparing half-yearly or annual results to different companies. Stop comparing quarterly performance. Spending your life comparing yourself to others is a recipe for a sad life. And comparing performance of your investments constantly is a recipe for not achieving your goals. In Seth's opinion, the largest edge that individual investors have is the ability to invest for the long term. Do not get into the habit of chopping and changing your portfolio. Don't get into the habit of always acting. Allow your investments to compound and allow the businesses that you own and their competitive advantages to compound. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our topics across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. All right, should we go on to our next investor, Mark? All right, so let's do it. So our last, I think our last investor as well, is Henry Singleton. So he was a CEO, and this was one of the CEOs that we explored in The Outsiders by William Thorndike. So that book talks about corporate leadership and capital allocation, and Singleton was good at both. So you can listen to our episode on the book to learn a little more about the different CEOs that we explored, including Singleton. And we reviewed it because it's a great investing book. It makes you think, what is it about a business that makes it so great? What are the leadership qualities you're looking for in management? and how do capital allocation decisions impact businesses. And these decisions are about what to do with your money as a shareholder. And Henry Singleton was focused on in this book. We have a quote from him. He said, I believe in the maximum flexibility, so I reserve the right to change my position on any subject when the external environment relating to any topic changes too. And what he is saying is that he has the right to change his mind. And basically, as the facts change, your opinion should change. And it's simple enough but it just isn't true for the majority of people. They get stuck in the same approach. So no matter what happens, their answer never changes. So let's speak a little bit about Henry Singleton. So he was the CEO for a company called Teledyne, which is still around. So they make airplane instruments, among other ventures. He ran this company for 30 years and he took the company public. So he was one of the initial founders and investors and his initial investment was $450,000. And at the end of his 30 years at the helm, it was worth $450 million and the company had a market cap of $1.15 billion. 
His big focus was capital allocation and he saw his job as CEO as really making that decision, when, which he thought was very important. And in that episode on The Outsiders, we did speak a little about Singleton and shared a quick example of how he utilized capital allocation to create value for shareholders. But he had a very unusual approach and an unusual approach around share buybacks. We've talked about share buybacks before, and we spoke about it quite a bit in our capital allocation episode. But as a quick refresher, share buyback, so when a company goes, instead of issuing new shares, they're just buying back shares that are already trading and they're retiring them. The theory behind this, of course, is that you're shrinking the number of shares. That means for every shareholder that's still out there or every share, they get a bigger share of the company. I said share a lot. <laughs> you did. Sharing is we are talking shot, about right? shares. I mean, this is an investing podcast. But, exactly. exactly. Um, let's, let's go through a simple example. If the company makes $100 and there are 10 shares, you know what you get. $10 a share, $10 a share of earnings is yours. All of a sudden, if there is five shares, that means that $20 a share of earnings is yours. And the way that this is typically done is that a lot of companies will just have all these long-term share buybacks. They'll get announced, we're buying back $10 billion of shares over the next three years. And so they'll continually sit there and buy back shares no matter what the price is or what they're earning or what's happening in the market. And some of these companies are just doing this to keep their share count steady because they're issuing shares in other ways. And a big way that they issue shares is, of course, through compensation. So we found an example, Facebook. So in 2020, Facebook bought back $6.2 billion in shares. So they spent a lot of money, right? And that was a capital allocation decision that they were going to spend this $6.2 billion to go buy back shares. Now, they could have done anything with that money. They could have bought another business. They could have given that to shareholders in a dividend. They could have reinvested it back in the business, but they didn't. They bought shares. So at the beginning of the year, 2020, they had 2.8 billion shares outstanding. The end of the year, they had 2.9 billion shares outstanding, even though they had spent $6.2 billion in shares over the year. So what happened, Shani? All right. So what happened was that despite the $6.2 billion in share buybacks, their share count grew. And that's because most likely they were issuing those shares as compensation, which is fine. You need to pay people and retain talent. But the point is that some of these share buybacks are not as great as they seem. Some people have this fantasy that $6.2 billion has been bought back and that's going to reduce the share count by a lot. But sometimes that just doesn't happen. And Henry Singleton had a very different approach. He only bought back shares during certain times. He thought that there's no point in buying back shares if the share price is doing really well, like Facebook was in 2020. So he only bought back shares when it made sense. So when Teledyne shares were really cheap. So eight different times over his 30 years as CEO, he made very large buybacks. And we've used this example before, but we'll use it again because it really demonstrates Henry's exemplary capital allocation and his ability to challenge conventional actions. So in May 1980, the market was not doing very well. Teledon's P ratio was the lowest that it had ever been. And this is definitely not the only indicator, but it can be used as an indi- indicator that the stock is cheap. It's a relative valuation technique. He's comparing it to historical levels and making a determination about when the stock is cheap. So he started a tender offer, and a tender offer is a very different way of buying back shares. Instead of buying back shares over time on the open market, which nobody really notices, and in the way that Facebook did in the previous example, they're just out there like any other buyer of shares, just buying and retiring them. 
A tender offer, in contrast, is when you say, okay, at this specific point in time, I'm going to buy back shares at X price. So he put out this tender offer for a certain amount of shares, and it was oversubscribed by three times what he originally wanted to buy. So basically three times more shares than, or three times more shareholders wanted to sell him shares than he originally wanted to buy, but he just decided to do it all. So he bought back in one single event, 20% of the outstanding shares. So in other words, he took control of 20% of the shares and then just retired them. Of course, when this was oversubscribed by three times, he sat there and said, we don't exactly have the money for that. So he went out and he funded the entire purchase with fixed rate debt. And he did that because the company had really strong cash flows and because interest rates had recently dropped. And they were at a staggering level compared to what they are now. But at the time, they had recently dropped and it seemed like they were at a reasonable level. And then interest rates went up right after he did this. So he timed it very well because they went up. And of course, the next thing he did is he went back and he bought back all the debt with cash. And he did it in a very specific way by giving the debt to the pension fund, so the company pension fund, and buying it back so the pension fund made a profit on the debt because of what was happening with interest rates. A very savvy investor. Exactly, Shani. So what can we learn from Henry Singleton? What we can learn is that we all need to realize as investors that if we have a deep understanding of the mechanics of how something works... It is very different than just having a high-level understanding. So this is analytical edge. We know more about a company and about an industry, which means we know better than others when a good time to invest is. We know the true long-term value. So we've been through three investors today who are all very different. Is there anything that unites all three? Yeah, I mean, I think it's don't do what everyone else does and expect a different outcome. So Jim Rogers just came out and said it. So Seth Klarman and a source said a source of long-term edge is being a long-term investor because nobody's really a long-term investor. And Henry Singleton said that the way everybody else buys back shares is wrong because they do it when they are flush, which means the share price is normally high. And when it should happen is when a company isn't doing well and the share price is low. And once again, doing something different to the crowd is hard, and that's why investing is hard. But We hope we've provided you with a little bit of perspective today that will help you dare to go against the crowd. Thank you guys for listening. Post a comment and a rating and send it in. And thank you guys for joining us. Sorry for doing this remotely, if you can tell. Um, Hopefully, Will's figured out a way that you can't. But we'll be back together next week to record. Thank you. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.